Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Graham MacDonald. Graham is the Managing Director of Solace which is a members network for local government and public sector professionals across the UK. Many of you listening will know Solace well, and we obviously start by Graham explaining everything it does. And actually, I was really surprised by the breadth of support and services that the organisation offers. But we talk about Graham's career. He's been with Solace for 11 years, which for anybody is a pretty good stint with any organisation. We get into the challenges that the local government sector is facing and Graham, with his network of local authority chief execs and other people, is in a great position to talk about that. Local government's really facing a myriad of challenges and um, Graham gives his views on what they are and what some of the responses might be. Graham and Solace as an organisation are very interested in how leaders develop and we talk about how leaders can develop in a state of what we call perma-poly crisis and how do you find time for formal learning but also informal reflection time and thinking time and that's so important for public sector leaders and other leaders to be able to make good decisions. We also talk more generally about the state of the local government sector. There have obviously been some high-profile council failures and I asked Graham what his view is are these a number of individual bad apples or are there more systemic problems and Graham's answer to it is really insightful and he also gives his view on sector-led improvement versus intervention and how it really shouldn't be a black and white choice there there should be more of a blended approach in terms of how councils support each other but then there's still being that safeguard of national level intervention if it's needed. I really enjoyed this conversation. Graham is a very thoughtful and considered interviewee, and I hope you enjoy it too. So let's hear from Graham. Graham, a huge welcome onto the podcast. It's it's really good to see you. And um, I was just wondering if you could just tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, uh, and lovely to be here. So Graham McDonald, I am um, the managing director of Solace. Um, had that role for four or five years now, um, but I've worked at Solace for around 11 years, nearly 12, I think. So been involved in, in sort of that national body for quite some time. Before that, I say to people I had a real job working in local government. Um, towards the end, that was in London. Uh, I was a director, policy and basically all the things that washed up and um, on a on a corporate desk um in the London Borough of Ealing and then worked for some other authorities before that. Um, but yeah, history goes back well into the to them sort of mid early 90s. Actually, my first job was at Epping Forest Council collecting refuse 
And uh, my claim to fame is that I used to pick up Rod Stewart's refuse collection in my first Did job. So, so there you go. Yeah. Goes fantastic. back a while. Yeah, fantastic. And what was it that attracted you to a career in not just public services, but in yeah. local government? I think the, the thing that really strikes me about local government is how tangible it is. Um, and when I was in the sector itself um, at a council, the walk home after a busy day and being able to see the results of your labour, if you like, yeah. on the streets where you live, um, and even if you don't live in the in the same area, you know, it's you get a real tangible um, taste of what. So you mean like the, the rubbish that had been collected? That yes. Sort of thing from well, the hopefully. <laughs> Very much. Yes, hopefully. But but and it's also, I think, about going home. You know, you switch on the news in the evening and you, you're seeing local government on the news channel, you know, whether you're watching EastEnders or a documentary about something, local government is part of that um, in everybody's life. And I think the 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 ability to have a have an impact um, and to see that impact um, come to life is is fantastic and is a, and it's quite a privilege as well, I yeah. think. So no, I think, you know, I think something we shouldn't take for granted and something that I don't think the sector as a whole, we are good at talking about. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But I my hope is that particularly over the last couple of years of pandemic, people have really understood the value of local government services and and everything they do. So you you're now at Solace. Yeah. Solace, I know because I'm in the sector and I'm involved in working with local government, I, I know what Solace does. I know what's important. But for people who maybe don't, what role does it play? So we're a professional body. So I suppose the, the key thing for us is to provide support to uh, the sector um, and the individuals working in the sector. So the officer side of things, really, uh, and provide whatever support we can and that they think is necessary to, to help them do the, be- the jobs in the best way possible. And but rather than being specific to a particular service area or a particular profession in the sense of a planner or a social worker, um, our focus is more generic around management and leadership. So we're the professional body for senior managers and leaders in in local government. Having said that, we have members from apprenticeships, graduates all the way through to seasons chief executive should we call them um and um and and every spot in between and increasingly are focusing our efforts as much on the pipeline of future managers and leaders as as much as um the chief executives who who are currently the ones sort of holding the fault but um but it's important we focus on the pipeline too and just what sort of services do you provide? What sort of support? Is it training? Is it peer networking? Is it all that yeah. sort of stuff? All of that and a lot more. Um, so we have everything from, so traditionally, um, and we've been, actually it's, next year is our 50th birthday. So we've been around for a long okay. time. We've evolved. You've quite some test of time uh, yes. for that length, yeah. And and clearly, yeah, where we started was a was a body focused particularly on chief executives and we still do a lot of that the work that was been done throughout that 50 years which is representing a, an officer voice in the sector be that in discussions with central government departments of of all types um with politicians with the LGA and other sector bodies SIPFA and, and all the other professional associations that are out there and in, and and trying to to provide a proactive, positive um, support to to that and moving the sector on as much as we can. But then, yes, that sort of evolves into events that we run that promotes best practice and promotes a yeah. shared shared agenda for learning. And then and then um, particularly in the last five or six years, we've really focused on learning leadership development, learning and development. And and that's 
that is support, as I said, from a print. We are a registered apprenticeship provider. We work with the LGA on their national graduate development program. We provide training for middle managers, senior managers, all the way through into into support for, for chief executives going into their role and, and while they're in their role, too. So coaching, mentoring, um, um, as well as more traditional um, yeah. learning programs. So all of those things, as well as some of the more sort of the commercial uh, recruitment and um, and consultancy work that we all that we also do when people are sort of really in need. Okay, it sounds like a really good organisation for not just existing leaders but aspiring yeah. leaders as well. Absolutely. So if um, I know quite a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are those aspiring leaders because yeah. they want to hear from people like yourself. What could somebody who's making their way up the ladder and wants to be a chief exec one day? What what sort of things would they get out of being with Winsolis? I think the 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 key thing for 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 Solitis is providing creating a network of people who yeah. are in a similar position to you um and creating that network not just within your own geographic area spreading that as far as possible so you're getting experiences and perspectives from well outside of your local area that's really important and then it's also about access to to rooms and people and to events that you wouldn't normally get access to so being able to sit down with chief executives and other senior officers and discussing particular issues at at our annual summit for example or inputting into some of the policy work that we might be doing or finding out more easily about some of the programs that we might run to support people in their role over a longer period of time you know a year's program on um on leadership development, for example, you know, having access to those sorts of things. I think that's really good. And I liked what you were saying about um, linking people up and creating peer networks for people at a similar level, because I think a lot of young people starting off in their career sometimes think that the only way to progress is to is to network upwards and, you know, have somebody might be able to help you. But actually, when you actually get in the job and some of the really good chief execs talk about this, that they they draw on for advice to kind of soft test ideas on the network that they've built up over their career. It's not just about giving you a leg up or kind of, you know, it's about building that broader network so that when you actually get the job, you have the network that can support you to do it. Yeah, absolutely right. I think I think that's really important because it can be quite difficult to build networks, particularly networks that is outside of your immediate organisation or your immediate profession. Uh, And it's incredibly important to get perspectives that, particularly as you go into more senior roles, to have perspectives and have and have people that you can trust that you've known for a while, hopefully that you can that you can trust that potentially have a different professional background to you a different specialization and then the, you're, you're getting a different perspective on on issues and challenges that you might have you know we all we all come up through organizations and most of us have some sort of specialism and and that professionalism has its own culture that comes with it yeah. it's really important that we break that down so that people can see right right across an organization and be able to sort of walk in the shoes of um, of colleagues that may come from a very different perspective than than yeah. uh, than than they do. Yeah. And and so you you've been with Solus for eleven years, which is a yeah. fantastic commitment to a single organisation these days. How has it evolved over that time? Well, I think when I started, we were far much smaller, um, and I was focused particularly on policy, and and as an organisation. The work that we did was quite was split between its functional areas um, and therefore and what what we've done over the last 10 years is bring those together and being able to grow the grow the whole organization, mm-hmm. uh, which has enabled us to reach out and provide support to far more people than we were able to do 10 years ago. We've also had a real focus on learning and development and creating a learning organization not just for the people within it but for all of our membership and well beyond that too and and that has that we've tied that very much into the membership um 
activity that we do, but also some of the recruitment activity that we do as well. So we're looking at an individual completely as almost like a 360 view of individuals as they work their way through a local government career and are able to support them in very different ways, depending on where they are at their career and what and, and what choices that they want to make. So some people come at, you know, learn about Solace because they've gone through a recruitment process that we've run, for example, or may have gone in, may have gone through a a their chief executive might have recommended them for for a springboard program, which is one for uh, for sort of aspirant yeah. um, middle managers and moving into senior management. And um, but once they've done that, they've seen all the other things that Solace has been able to do. They may have joined some of our work around policy and some of the discussions and developed our approach to local government finance or or climate change, for example, does some work with us on that. Um, they might have done some, you know, seen some uh, development activity that they've got further. They might have gone some, done some coaching or mentoring. So they yeah. get to see a much wider perspective. And I think that's the thing I'm particularly proud of, really, is that we've managed to start to create something that really looks around a whole person and isn't just a series of offers around discrete area packages that we thought that might be of interest. Yeah. They're actually a whole a, a whole view of a person right the way through their career. Fantastic. I think that's given everybody a really good idea and overview of what Solace does. So I want to move away from Solace uh, directly and just yeah. draw on uh, your knowledge and experience of the local government sector, because you're going to have a pretty unique viewpoint of that with your own network of chief executives and things. So the local government sector obviously faces a whole myriad of challenges. Um, and I was just wondering if you would describe those challenges as you see them. Yeah, well, I think we could what, probably spend all day talking about We could this, talk about this. That's very concise. true. Okay. And I guess, as I said near the beginning about how tangible local government is, really local government's challenges just reflects the challenges that all of our communities are facing. So particularly in the, particularly today, particularly um, in recent months, you know, the cost of living is a huge challenge for people in in um, at this moment, in this moment in time. Um, and there are also obviously long term, longer term challenges that have been with us for a while um, relating to health, COVID, obviously, but social care, most particular um, housing increasingly. And and then looking looking uh, even more broadly, uh, climate change. So so all the things that are impacting on local communities up and down the UK are things that are very front of mind for for local government. What sits behind that, uh, and in many ways is as important, um, and can't be ignored if we're not going to save solve some of those challenges, is the finances and the workforce challenges that local government's got. Um, you know, for a long time now, local government has struggled in terms of its finances and and it's been a real um, an annual challenge for us all. And the short termness of that has been real, has really hamstrung, I think, the sector. And like many sectors, um, workforce is a real challenge for every chief executive at the moment. Um, and uniquely now, I think, in comparison to where we were a few years ago, Workforce challenges are right across the board and at every level in a way that previously we have seen workforce challenges within social care or, or say within the planning profession. Now we're seeing it everywhere and at all levels. And I think that's a real significant, significant difference. Um, and, and, and it is a difficult employment market. So encouraging people into the sector gets more difficult. Um, and it's something that we really need to focus on. Um, but as I said, ultimately, many of the challenges that, that our communities face, local government faces too. And I think that leads into some of the challenges around sort of the polarisation of politics and and standards, both in terms of behavioural standards, um, but also linked back to workforce standards in terms of professional standards and ensuring that we're able to to recruit the best people into into roles develop them and give them the support that they need so that when they are doing senior roles they're able to do them well uh, and feel supported in doing that and i think those all of those things really link together 
think you're right. I know when we had a conversation before recording this, you're very interested in um, how leaders develop themselves and yeah. how they find time to do that. And one of the things we talked about, which would be great to talk about here, is is that how do people find time or the headspace to develop themselves when the public services and local services are in a state of what you might call perma poly crisis? How do they? How yeah. how do people find the time? for personal development and growth? I think that's a really difficult question. And I think it is up to organisations, politicians, organisations generally, line managers to support people in their role to ensure that they are they do prioritise that activity. Because you should almost switch that round. And can you afford not to, really? Um, because if we're not... Ultimately, when you know, the world is is more complex, is increasingly complex, and it is one where and is ever changing. And therefore, if we're not learning and we're not moving forward, we'll be going backwards. Uh, and I think that's it's not it shouldn't be seen as a luxury. And I think there is a there is a there is a balance to be struck. Organisations really do need to prioritise it. Government needs to help set the sector prioritise it as well I think because yeah. there are 500 local authorities all competing for the same pool of staff we need yeah. to make that pool as big as we can um, and create incentives for organisations to invest in their people because if there are only 500 of them sometimes those the incentive to invest in staff is not as strong as it as it could be um, particularly in areas where you feel that as soon as you do that the, the an individual move will move on but we must still hold as a sector to the principle that we should develop our staff um, but it's also incumbent on those individuals to take some responsibility themselves as well it's not just about the organization taking that on it is about putting effort in individually to prioritize it um, and to make time um, and to do it um, and to do, go into that sort of activity with your eyes wide open and being able to dedicate your time to it because there's nothing worse than someone taking up an opportunity for development that could have gone to someone else um, and them not being able to dedicate their time to it. They really need to really need to do that, both for their own sake, but for the sake of the organisation as well. So so it's mutually supportive, hopefully, is, is where we want to be. So I think it's important to have to plan in and to have space for both formal development, but also yeah. informal reflection as well. So on on the previous podcast to to you, Stephen Young, who's the chief executive yeah. at Holton, he has a rather yeah. extreme angle on this. He he goes for a ten mile run almost every night, which I find <laughs> I find really impressive and terrifying at the same time. But it's about um, creating headspace for yourself yeah. as well. Actually, it's not just about the formal stuff is important, and yes, you know, continue, continued development is really important. But for our own mental health and ability to do senior jobs properly you've got to have some headspace to just reflect and consider things and 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 his approach is to get himself out on the road for yeah. i don't know 10 miles has got to be i mean for me it would be about three hours but let's say an hour and a half you know that, that that's <laughs> a good that's a good amount of time every day to get some headspace yeah absolutely I, and i think that's more important now than ever I think we many of us used to do that reflective time and the preparation time as well on the way to and from work. Um, and for many of us, that's that's no longer the case. Uh, so it's very easy to 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 jump from meeting straight to meeting. Um, to meeting to to. Well, it's, it's really easy now. I mean, it happens a lot more. It used to be you have you had time to get yourself from one meeting to another exactly. and now it's just like i don't know about you but when we finish recording this i have, I have another meeting almost exactly. exactly i'm sure you do too and yeah. it's just it i'm not sure it's creating a really good environment for good decision making no no i think that's absolutely right you i think you've got making time yeah if it's going for a run going for a run great happens to be what I do too not quite 10 miles every day I must admit <laughs> um he, he did say he takes one day off a week so yeah wow well that's pretty <laughs> impressive um 
but what but whatever it is whether it's whether it's going for a walk going to the gym doesn't even need to be particularly physical you know cooking whatever it might be you know taking that time out and being able to to relax and refresh is really important um and I think you know, particularly when you're new into role, that's a really important time to be able to set those kind of boundaries because yeah. you get the opportunity to do that then. Um, so one of the things we particularly advise people to do, you know, when they make that step, um, even if they're in the new, even if they're in the same organisation that they were in previously, just re, you know, setting some boundaries for yourself as much as for the rest of the organization is yeah. is incredibly important you get the chance to do it then and it's much easier to do it then rather than trying to establish something once you're already we've already created a norm and people expect you there's an expectation then that you're available um at yeah. all these times you can you can really control that and if you feel like you're in that situation then you know taking that step out and and mapping that out and using your diary really it's all very basic yeah. stuff isn't it but blocking out time in your diary um to do things and and being clear with people when and when when you're not going to be around is incredibly important i mean there's two things as well which i think are useful tools Ooh. or useful approaches for for people one is being pretty ruthless about does everything need a meeting does every yes. decision need a meeting? You know, can things be taken offline and 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 that type of thing? So that's one. And the second one is just being confident and trusting in your team about delegation and not trying to own everything yourself. I mean, I'm sure you've got some reflections on that. Yes, I think a lot of it, a lot for me, there's something about inf- how we use informal time yeah. as well. Um because that's often where the most powerful conversations happen uh, and making time, prioritising that and make because sometimes it feels really odd, doesn't it? And forced that we uh, particularly when we're not working in the same building as often as we might have been previously, um, you know, making the time and effort, making the effort to to have informal conversations with people uh, and not just going on from one meeting straight to another without the kind of the chat between because those are the moments where you start to pick up how people really feel and what yeah. they feel what they're what is troubling them what's not troubling them um and sometimes that can be outside work of course but it's, it's often inside work too and they will say and the conversations happen that wouldn't otherwise happen in a more formal kind of setting yeah. um so i guess yeah making time for that is, is I, really I, important yeah i i completely agree so in our in our consulting work at Mutual Ventures, we do a lot yep. of work with councils. And when we used to have meetings face to face, that two, three minutes after the meeting was the time when I was able to have a chat with somebody to unlock something or to mm. ask them to give somebody a nudge because they hadn't sent me the yeah. information they needed. Now I almost have to put that nudge in an email and that yeah. feels much more formal. It feels... Yeah. You know, you just don't react to an email in the same way that you react to a face to face conversation where I, for instance, would say to you, look, I'm really uh, just it's been a while since we've had we haven't had this information that we really need in order to get our work done and meet your deadline. Would you mind just giving this person a gentle nudge and they will give them a gentle nudge? Yeah, I know. I now have to to, to put it in an email and all of a sudden it feels a lot more formal and yeah. it just it isn't the same at all. So no. I, I could completely get that. So I want to talk now just about the general state of the sector. So yeah. um, we're, we're seeing ever increasing amounts of central government intervention in councils. And I'd be really interested in your view, given the people you know and your understanding of the sector, you know, is this a few bad apples or are there wider systemic challenges which are causing more councils to fail or is it a bit of both yeah it's a really important issue and very much front of everybody's mind at the moment and i did some work in one of the councils that have been quite high profile i spent six months there um last year trying to support their improvement program so you you really see the impact that it has on the people involved um so it's terribly important i said i don't like the bad apple analogy because um, I think it makes it it implies for me that there is a group of bad bad apples over there somewhere, and everybody else is you know in the 
in the in the prime rain, ready to go to the supermarket. Can't yeah, think. yeah. Um, and I don't think that's the case at all. Um, you know, like any sector, I think there's a normal distribution of of authorities. Um, yeah. You know, there are some really good ones. Um, most of them are near the middle, and there are some um, that are not in a good place, and some you know bad decisions have been taken and some bad behaviours have been seen. Um, I think one thing that is different about local government, perhaps, is that when you are at that extreme, it's easy or seen at the moment because of the number of different pressures and the length of time that we've had some of those financial pressures and the commercialisation in particular that, that people have gone down. You can spiral out of control really quite quickly. And it takes time for people outside of the, the organisation to necessarily see what's going on or feel able to intervene. And therefore, it feels, therefore, that you've got these organisations that are right at the extreme. And there's a huge gap until you get to everybody else. When I think the reality is, is that, you know, the finances and the numbers that we see coming out of these authorities make them look exceptional. And in that respect, they are. But are some of the things that we've talked, you know, one of some of the causes that really sit behind it, are they as exceptional as as yeah. uh, as the outcomes that have been delivered? You know, possibly not. So I think we shouldn't be complacent and think that everything else in the in the in the sector is fine and it's just a few that are um, that are in a very bad place. You know, I think there's a there's a, there'll be a spread. Yeah. It's kind of like the pandemic flushed out some fundamental issues with yeah. a lot of services and a lot of the way we lead our lives really it just everything yeah. became very very crystallized and I, i'm guessing the same is true for the local government sector the pressure that they're under following the pandemic's squeezes on funding it's going to drive well it's going to drive two things it's going to to drive to the surface things which were maybe there but were we're not exposed but it's yeah. also going to drive behaviours, you know, potentially, if not managed properly, towards more risky commercial decisions and things like that. And uh, and that will be well-intentioned, but has, as we've seen, ha- has landed some councils in trouble. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I think that's right. The pandemic accelerated a lot of trends and drivers that we in many many parts of our uh, lives hasn't it you know be that working from home the impact on the high street we talked a lot about how the pandemic was having that impact and in and accelerating trends that were already there and i think that's you know the same is true within within local government you know you, you've many of the problems that we've had have really been brought to bear by the pandemic um and the behaviours, you're absolutely right to talk about behaviours because some of the lack of transparency or the poor decision making was enabled by the pandemic to to get worse because there wasn't that access. Um, and, you know, some of the informal discussions that we talk about that might have prevented some of some of that behaviour. Um during the pandemic because people were just not working together. Um, so I think yeah, the things like that have accelerated. But like but like the, none of the examples that I've seen about or the reports that I've read, um, you know, point to single points of failure. Really, there are a variety of cultural issues in particular um, that when they've all been brought together, you end up in a really difficult situation. Um, I guess one thing that they do. One thing that they do share at the moment is most of them are clustered around London uh, or out of London. So there are probably challenges with being a local authority in that area, but also perceived opportunities of being in the orbit of a London economy that people felt that they had the opportunity to make the most of and perhaps you know, seemingly went uh, far too far in the pursuit of those opportunities. Yeah, you're exactly right. and. It is. It is a. It's an important discussion for us to have. So when things do go wrong, um, yeah. What's your view on central intervention versus sector-led improvement? Do we have the balance of that right? 
I don't I think from my perspective it shouldn't be a balance it should be a it should be a blend um, or continuation and I think the challenge that we've got at the moment is that um, it it feels certainly to me like we have sector-led improvement at one extreme we've got intervention at the other extreme and there's not a huge amount in the middle, certainly not okay. a huge amount um, that is visible in the middle. Um, so I think, and what that means is that there, that that many of the things that we um, many of the many of the things that we do see um, uh, are seen quite late. Um, the audit process takes a long time, and that's not in a good place at the moment, as an example, and therefore. You know, we we we're very much sort of driving, looking in the rearview mirror in many of these these elements, and there isn't really the support I don't think for people to uh, find access to until it's quite late in the process, or they've got a real consensus within their own local authority, and the chances of you being in that sort of sort of situation is is in in many respects unlikely because. You know, if there's a if there's a local authority chief executive who feels like they're in trouble, but they haven't got the support of their members or vice versa, um, it's quite difficult for them to know exactly who to go to and how to resolve that issue, um, because you need consensus in order to go down the peer review route, for example, and it's probably too late if you're going down the DCL, uh, the DLUC route. So. Um, so there is that sort of gap in the middle. Yeah. Ultimately, though, this is about people, isn't it? And however much uh, intervention and however much the spotlight, we do need individuals in the centre of in the statutory roles in particular, but not just the statutory roles, uh, as well as councillors working together to improve the uh, it, to resolve these sorts of issues. And I think. Yeah, the development of them and ensuring the rights, checks and balances for around them is really, really important. And it's a bit of a mishmash in that respect at the moment with there are 16 different statutory roles in a local authority, I think. Uh, yeah, and they've all been developed independently at all different times. And I think there yeah. is there is something about um, grabbing hold of that, having a better look yeah. at at how those operate and then then you can fit the intervention in on top of that because um, but ultimately we want to get to a place don't we where local government is has the freedom and flexibility the devolution to be able to go and do the things that it needs to do for local communities um, yeah. without central government or anybody else having to to check it at every point along the way and we're only going to get there if we've got really great people working in the sector um, yeah. and with some safeguards locally with some support from national in order to do yeah. that. As we're talking about intervention, I, I really should ask you about offlog and just if you've got yes. any thoughts on what's going to be important for that organisation to get it right. And, you know, what what's your view on that? Yeah, it's an interesting, fascinating one, isn't it? It's I think and I think. Uh, my preference is I would really like the sector to come out and proactively um, support and help design offlog uh, and almost get in front of offlog mm. in terms of yeah. what it wants to do. Um, the reason I say this is I think there's there is understandably a lot of fear about offlog and what its role may or may not be. I think a lot of that is driven by memory. Clearly, it's driven by memories of the Audit Commission. Um, yeah. And um, but when people say, oh, we don't want to go back to the Audit Commission. And my first question is always, which version of the Audit Commission are you referring to? <laughs> because the Audit Commission in the early 90s, when I was picking up Rod Stewart's bins um, yeah. and the Audit Commission um, you know, through the 2000s, um, and towards the end when it was um, 
when the Conservative government came in, you know, they, they did a hugely, had hugely different roles. Um, and much of the work that they did, particularly in the early part of my local government career, was really valuable to the sector and pointed us in, in a way and, and did deliver some significant improvements. Um, we can argue about whether that was because of the Audit Commission or a number of other factors that were happening at the same time. But nevertheless, local government went through a period of of real improvement. Um, so so I think there are lessons from that that is worth revisiting. Um, but I think the more we sit back, offlog's not going to go away. The more we sit back and wait, um, the more it will be designed by somebody else. So the yeah. more proactive we can be um, and the more that we can engage, you know, Lord Morse in particular has been really open and uh, wanted to engage with people. I mean, he did the same when he was at uh, the NAO. Um, so that's a really positive move from our perspective. Yeah. Um, and we'll just need to see how it, you know, we'll need to work with them on how it develops. But I think there are, Having an independent view on what's happening in local government, if it can be independent of government, that is, yeah. is you know would be of value. Um, but it, it needs does to sound be. Like, it does sound like it, and I, I think your advice there to the sector is this is this is going to happen. Yeah. So get involved, get involved in supporting the design of what our vlog looks like, or else it will happen and. You, all, all you'll be able to do is complain about it then if you didn't if you didn't get involved at, at, at the right time. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to talk about leadership now, leadership and culture. So that's something that yeah. I always la- like to come to. So Solace clearly has a leadership position. You have a leadership position within Solace. But in the sector, it's not a formal leadership position. Um, yeah. The senior leaders you often represent do not report to you. They don't report to Solus. So how, how does your organization provide sector leadership from that from that position of not being in a formal leadership position? I guess it's about soft power, really. Yeah. Um, and and although that's not necessarily something I think about in those terms very often, you know, I talked before about how as far as an individual is concerned an individual solace member might be concerned we will have a rounded view on them i guess we have that same role in the sector and are able to bring together a really wide variety of voices and create channels into local into the rest of the sector into the local government association into members intercentral government um, that enables that variety of voices to be heard um, and to be able to present that and curate those voices in a way that hopefully central government is able to listen to and others around the sector is able to listen to. So there is so there is that, I think, in terms of our influence out into other organisations across the sector. I think one that's probably even more important for me is the reflection of that back into our membership and back into local government organisations themselves. So yeah. whether you're coming to an event, going on a going on a, a programme or a training course that we might run, it's in short that for me is an opportunity for us to influence you know, everybody from apprenticeships through to chief executives in terms of how they're looking at the sector. And encouraging people to be open minded, to look beyond their immediate organisation and to see the opportunities that are out there, both for them and their organisation and places to develop. Um, and I see that really as our most important um, way of influencing the future is by shaping um, our offer so that we are shaping the individuals working in the in councils and the and the and the councils of the future yeah and also i think what's really important is the the incredible events which you run yeah. provide a platform for the leaders of the sector Absolutely. To, to provide leadership you know yes it's, it's a forum as well as well as providing that that kind of direct servant leadership almost by kind of yeah you know, supporting the leaders out there, you provide that platform for them yeah, to 
to network and and that is really important the way that is most obvious to me is we put you know putting people on a platform who are not the usual suspects having people within the audience looking at a platform saying that's not someone I associate with local government, but they're, you know, that they look like me or they're, being, you know, yeah. they've got something about me and therefore yeah. I can aspire to see a future for myself in this sector. That's 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 really important to us and is central to the way that we want to decide not just have our events, but everything that we do. So we're getting perspectives from everywhere, from right around the globe. We've got partner organisations who help us with this. You know, similar organisations to Solace in in other parts of the world, um, and the more that we're able to do that, the um, I think the better we'll all be because we'll have we'll be able to pick the best and to and to and to get the best decision making and the best best approaches all gathered together in one place is is a real privilege. Couldn't agree more. So, Graham, as a last question, um, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in or around public services in a council? or in the third sector even, working yeah. locally in public services, who wants to make an impact in the way that you've made an impact? And I know that you have quite a unique unique position at the minute, but, you know, you've, you've progressed in an organisation which you now yeah. lead, and um, I, I'd love to get a few bits of advice from you. <laughs> well, I guess the one thing that really springs to mind, because I'm not necessarily, I'm not sure, sh- whether I'm the right person to be giving advice or not is is I leave for others to debate. But I've I've made that judgment, so you're, <laughs> you're, you're, I'm going to make you answer it. Fair enough. I think the 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 thing for me is run towards problems, not away from them. Okay, that would be my main bit of advice, really. For me, that's that's what's worked well. Uh, it yeah. doesn't work in every in every case. But if you do it enough times, the benefit, I think, that you get from doing that um, far outweighs yeah. far outweighs the risks involved. Um, and. And ultimately, the value that you get out of it personally, um, I think, even you know, more than outweighs that risk, too. The reason I say that is you know, there are opportunities, the, number, you know, the opportunities come along during your career. And sometimes it's you can see something going wrong and you could choose to volunteer yourself and, and try and just get involved and try and to, 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 to solve it. Other times I've had chief execs come to me and say, we've got this problem. Here's a career opportunity for you. Well, actually, yeah, those yeah. and with a smile on their face, a cheeky smile on their face. Um, <laughs> but actually. Those were the opportunities that made the biggest difference. That exposed me to things that I would never have otherwise. If I'd have stayed in my lane, I would have never yeah. have normally done. Um, and also, I think it's about certainly more from a solace perspective. We, I felt that we could have continued on as an organisation that did a few commercial activities, ran an annual conference for a a chief executive and allowed a few more other people in the room um and focused on kind of like the policy part of what we do and 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 spend little time doing other things my view was actually the future of local government is about the future leaders we need to open this up and we need to invest as an organization in leadership development to create the future and I think it's sort of identifying where the problems are, trying to solve, solute, trying to provide solutions to those problems um, yeah. will ultimately give you satisfaction in the longer term. Um, and actually, that's where the real opportunities lie. I think that's right. And if I, I could just qualify what you're saying. So you're saying run towards problems that you are well qualified and able to help solve is different from running towards the limelight Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's often not to the limelight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. No. Absolutely. Graham, that asked me. I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for your time. No pleasure. Pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Andrew. That was great. I've been wanting to talk to Graham for a while. Actually, there's a lot of very interesting things to pick out of that. So the first one is just that general overview of how councils are doing and how the workforce crisis started in social care and maybe planning teams 
But now it's across the board. It's really worrying from a strategic perspective. So not only are councils being squeezed on funding, but actually getting the staff to deliver the services that they have funding for and that they're able to deliver is a real challenge. So any of you who've been listening to the podcast recently know that I I always seem to find myself talking about leaders finding the headspace for reflection and things like that. And it came up again today. I have to admit, I did ask about it, but I like talking about that because I like getting different perspectives. And the one consistent across all of these conversations is that it is so important for leaders to find time outside of the day-to-day firefighting to think strategically, to reflect. Only by doing that will you equip yourself to make better decisions and be a better leader for your team. And I think that's really important and Graham clearly gets that. I think one of the most important parts of our conversation was when I asked Graham about council failure and was this just a few bad apples or was it more systemic? I thought he gave a really strong answer to that. And the way he described councils as being on a normal distribution where you get most councils kind of either side of the middle, then some really high achievers at the thin end at the top and then at at the tail you get some of the ones who are making particularly bad decisions and failing publicly. And the key thing which came across to me there was that the causes of failure are quite widespread. They aren't just affecting a couple of councils, but actually it's when it reaches a crisis point, that's when it becomes public. And a council that is exposed in that way all of a sudden seems terrible when actually there might be quite a lot of councils facing similar problems, but not quite yet a crisis point. And I think he was very wise to point that out, that we can't just say it's okay. There's just a couple of councils over here who are struggling and making bad decisions, but everybody else is fine. And the reasons that everybody else isn't fine are are quite systemic. They're to do with funding, they're to do with the workforce shortages we're talking about, and they're to do as well with the often well-intentioned attempts by councils who are often in dire straits to try and respond to this. So they make risky commercial bets in order to try and build up some finances within the council, and that doesn't always go well. So As a human being, I can perfectly understand how some councils get themselves into this state. And I would say most of the time they're well-intentioned. And my final point is around what Graham was saying on sector-led improvement versus intervention. He's right that it, most of the time, I think it's just a very black and white thing. You're either doing the sector-led improvement bit or you've been singled out for intervention from central government. And his thinking around a blended approach. I think there's something there. And and I think actually his blended idea recognises the previous point around councils being in crisis and not in crisis. It's not black and white. I mean, let's be honest, every council in the country is at some level of crisis. It might not be a major crisis, but they're all facing crisis. So it would make more sense, as Graham suggested, to have more of a normal distribution of responses rather than just it being one or the other to reflect the normal distribution of where councils are. So that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave a good review, then I'd be really grateful. 